1: Good afternoon, welcome to Health and Living with me, Shao Ik. It's our public health series today. So joining me in the studio is my co-host, Azrul Mohamed Khalid, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. And today we'll be discussing Malaysia's low fertility rate and uh, in line with that, how to address infertility as well. So Malaysia's fertility has been dropping and uh, in 2022, the rate was recorded at 1.6 children per woman. That's the lowest that the country has recorded in 50 years. What is the impact of this low fertility rate on our population? How do we increase access to affordable, high-quality fertility care for those in need without compromising on family planning and contraception services as well? So, joining Azrul and I on the show, Dr. Gitao Mburu, a scientist for sexual and reproductive health and research with the World Bank Special Programme, HRP, uh, that's under the World Health or, or rather the World Health Organization is part of that. Uh, Dr. Kitao, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today?
2: Um, very well. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me to discuss this important topic. It's a pleasure to be on the show.
1: And uh, our lines are open and uh, you can also WhatsApp us with your questions or your thoughts. The number to call is 0377332900. You can also WhatsApp our U-Mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio. rule if I can actually get you to set the stage first and... Uh, look at that um, our discussion today in the context of that number I quoted, 1.6 children per woman. Uh, why is this of concern?
0: Well, shall we, uh one of the uh, interesting trends that we've seen over the past uh, several years is this uh, decline in, in fertility rate and uh, in 2021 it was uh, 1.7 a few years ago it was 2 and, and it became 1.7 and now the latest uh, data is 1.6 and this is the lowest uh, recorded in, I think, around 60, 50 years, 50 I think. 50 years. 50 years. And um, the replacement uh, for a population is around 2.1 uh, children per a woman. So basically, uh, today we are at a situation where you could theoretically say that we are not having enough children to replace the existing population. So... Um, The World Bank uh, indicated um, several years ago that Malaysia had already transitioned to an aging nation uh, in 2020. So basically, we're seeing around 7% of its population uh, now aged 65 and above. So if you think about how uh, a society, a country is very dependent on its ability to be competitive, to have an economy that is run by a pool of people, human resources that's able to be trained, skilled and run the economy and so forth. So what's happening today is that there are more and more people uh, who are reaching retirement age and therefore coming out from the workforce and not being replaced, which means it has a real impact on the sustainability of you know the, the economy, the future, what, what, what does it impact on services, how do we uh, generate revenue, the pool of people who work maybe getting smaller, the number of people who are having children uh, are uh, less than what it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. So there's a lot of issues here uh, that you look at uh, in terms of wanting to ensure that uh, the demography is able to be uh, a pyramid type of, of, mm. of a demography where you have more younger people and there's a smaller group of people on the top. But today, more and more countries like Malaysia, uh, uh, Singapore, Thailand, all in the same boat mm. where we have more and more ageing and therefore it's becoming more chimney-like, you know. And and this is something that is uh, of concern to many countries, especially since it also means that f- potentially fewer people of working age. Mm. Uh, and this is something that uh, when you look at it uh, from uh, uh, even a national security issue, uh, you know, for countries like Singapore, uh, they treat it very seriously because it jeopardized the ability of the country to be able to even exist.
1: Mm. And uh, who better to give us uh, broadening out into a global view uh, than Dr. Gitao as well. Um, can you continue the thread of what Azrul was saying in terms of that impact um, of decreasing fertility rates on a population, on on a national population?
2: Well, yeah, thanks very much indeed. I think you know, having accurate estimates of where uh, total fertility rates are going is, is really important for planning. And this is because total fertility rates have, and the shifts and all the changes in them, have implications, not just on socioeconomic health needs, education, uh, family planning, fertility care, and a lot of other sectors. Now, just to, st- to, to mention maybe one or two things before I continue with the implications, we know that Malaysia is not, really isolated in this situation uh, when I think the the the, the statistics for Malaysia have been given, but at a global level, we have seen consistent declines of fertility since 1950s. In fact, um, in 1950, the average number of children that a woman had during her reproductive life was five, and that declined globally to about 2.3 in 2021, and it is estimated to Reach 2.1 by 2050. So, this is something that we are seeing in a lot of countries. In fact, today, for most nearly two thirds of the global population in the world is living in a country or a territory where the lifetime fertility is below 2.1 births per woman, which is roughly what is required to really have um, zero growth in, in the long run in the population. So, the point here to make is that. Malaysia is not alone. It's something that we are seeing in a lot of other areas, in Western Europe, Japan, South Korea, many countries are having this decline. Now, the important point also to note is that is that fertility is, is really as a result of people's decision um, that they make in terms of how many children they wanna have, when they wanna have children and, how many they want to have it can include declining i mean uh, changing or postponing how many postponing having children having fewer children so the implications to come to the point that was just raised now in terms of health for example we do know that when populations uh, change and when older people become more and more uh the health needs change because you get you get you get to a point where you actually need more services for older people, geriatric services for example. Um, We also know that in relation to uh, other facilities for economic development, (coughs) or for education, similar trends or similar changes need to be made in the environment. In relation to health, um, we are suspecting that the increases in people who are older than 65, we require health needs that relate to older populations. It will require better responsive systems to diseases of old people. It will require adjusting, adjusting the national insurance scheme so that they respond better to the needs of old population. So in many ways, there are many implications, but specifically on health, it will require health systems to really shift their service provision so that they can better need uh, respond to the needs of older people. In addition, as you rightly mentioned, um, health services need to respond to people's desires in terms of how many children they want to have. And I think this is really important to place it right at the center of this discussion. What really is important is to recognize that there will be people in, uh, in Malaysia, for example, now that require to have services so that they can have children and there will also be people who may also require services so that they can also limit how many children they want to have. So specifically in terms of uh increasing ability for people to access reproduction reproductive assisted reproductive technology it is of course important to ensure that we are uh, or the country is investing in services that can can enhance ability of people to have children.
1: Mm. Okay. Um I wanted to um I guess the, if we talk about services and what do we need to do to improve access, um, I, I guess maybe a starting point before we get there would also be understanding why people are making these decisions uh, to either postpone, delay or limit the number of children. And as you said, rightly so, uh, this is the decision of um, a woman and her partner and their family. What is driving low fertility rates? And uh, before we we start talking about what we can do about it.
2: Thank you. Um, Actually, that's a simple yet very complicated question. And this is because we know that at the individual level, a person makes a decision uh, whether to have children now, whether to have children later, and they may take into consideration a number of issues that influence those decisions, right? Uh, But at the like at the population level, the analysis that we make in terms of looking at where the uh, total fertility rates are going is a totally different uh, analysis, which may not necessarily be directly related to each individual person's decisions. What we can say is that, at one... We, we can look at the characteristics of countries where there is low fertility rates for us to get an idea about what are the reasons why, what are the reasons which are driving changes in fertility. And maybe there are about four or so important characteristics in, this, uh, in these countries. Um, so countries or regions or territories that have low fertility rates tend to be places or countries where there is low child mortality. Child mortality is very low. So that means that people may decide to have fewer children because they know that the current children they have will possibly survive. And this is in line with the demographic transition theory. And I'll explain that, which which really says that countries will move from a situation where they have high fertility and high mortality to a situation where they have low mortality and low fertility. And this is really where, this is the transition that we are seeing in a number of countries, including Malaysia, right? So one is, a low child mortality the second feature that's common to these countries is enhanced or universal access to education particularly for women for both sexes of course but also particularly for women and that has implications in terms of when people decide to have children you have postponement of um, postponement of when to have a child and you have also increasing age at which people are deciding to have a child so that might that's a common feature that we see in these countries and could be related to the reasons that people make because maybe people need to decide if they want to focus on career or they want to have a child later the third key feature we see in these countries is that they they generally tend to have very good um access to contraception and methods of family planning uh countries where this is available of course Uh, It's easier for people to limit their childbirth. It's easier for people to space their children. And that's really important in this conversation. And finally, these countries tend to be highly prosperous countries. And the reason for that is really difficult to disentangle from everything else. But it really means that people have greater opportunities for work. They have greater opportunities for employment and so on. So the reasons themselves are very individual. As we keep saying, fertility preferences are very private choices and people can make those decisions for various reasons. Uh, And also they may change over time. But we do know that generally, um, child mortality, education, contraception, prosperity and so on are common features in countries where low fertility rates are being observed today.
1: We'll go for a quick break and continue this conversation when we come back. Dr. Gitao Mburu, Sexual and Reproductive Health and Research Scientist with the World Bank Special Programme, HRP, World Health Organization, and my co-host Azrul Muhammad khalib from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy joining me for the public health show today where we are discussing Malaysia's low fertility rate. Stay tuned, we'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health & Living with me, T. Ik and my co-host, Azrul Muhammad Khalid, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. For our public health show today, we are discussing Malaysia's fertility rate. And um, our guest today is Dr. Gitao Mburu, Sexual and Reproductive Health and Research Scientist with the World Bank Special Programme, HRP, World Health Organisation. Um, do call us or text us if you have questions, 3 seven double three two. Nine hundred is the number to call or you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 Azrul.
0: I think we've got to go back to the uh, to some of the data for Malaysia to have a look at where we are on this and, and to see why it means so much and what does it uh, have implications for Malaysia and you see that back in 1970 it was actually 4.9 um, children per woman and you know when we look at where we are today at one6 A lot of people are are asking, you know, what's happening? Are are men and women becoming more and more infertile? And therefore, there is this... fundamental misunderstanding right now in terms of the, w- mm. the difference between infertility and unplanned or planned pregnancies. Yes, know?
1: and there's also a lot of uh, the social uh, implications on women um, wanting to be career-minded oh, yeah. or, um, you know, a, a lot of the, the the burden is placed on women as well. And
0: absolutely. I and mean, if you yeah. look at the, the uh, breakdown in terms of where we are, if we look at the ethnic... Um, groups, yeah, of, and and this is back to the DOSM data, the Department of Statistics data, you find that among the ethnic groups, you find uh, Malays having the highest TFR at, at around 2.1, uh, which is actually at the replacement rate. Uh, with the Chinese, it's around 0.8. And so, you know, where why are we here? And the reason why is precisely what was mentioned by the doctor just now about how the socioeconomic economic status of a country is linked back to this issue of uh, the fertility rate. You see that in countries where there's more economic progress, there's more educational opportunities, the opportunities to be part of the economy, women being part of the workforce and so forth. The decision to have fewer children is linked to that because, you know, uh, families no longer uh, necessarily can have like four children, for example, uh, or four or five children because it not just represents a burden on the women, it's also an economic burden for the family and it does cost money. It does cost time, and that is over a duration of time. So, what I want to emphasize here it's a it's not a bad thing necessarily to see this happen, because we saw re- recent announcements in the budget putting more money and emphasis on fertility treatments. And here lies the issue. It's not necessarily about the challenge or inability to conceive or to have children. It's really about whether or not sometimes the decision to want to have children. And it's important for us to distinguish that because we don't want to have a discussion concerning uh, fertility impact uh, essential services like reproductive health looking at planned pregnancies or unplanned pregnancies, which are pretty much a separate issue altogether. So it's important for us to draw a distinction there because Malaysia suffers from problems which were described just now about ageing population and so forth, but we also have problems of women who are trying to prevent a situation with becoming having too many children, they have to space out the pregnancies, address issues of poverty and so forth, which Mm. are all linked back to this fertility issue.
1: Mm. So, uh, Dr. Gitao, taking that into consideration, um, how um, do we approach um, decreasing fertility rates that do have an impact on an ageing society while ensuring that we don't compromise access to reproductive health services like family planning and contraception?
2: Yeah, That's a very important point. And I think really the answer, partly at least, lies in recognizing that fertility goals and preferences is a right for every person. And that there will be people who require uh, to have help in order to limit their births, whereas at the same time there will still be people who require services in order to actually have children. What we keep saying is that this is really a, you know, how many children a person wants to have is really linked to their body autonomy, sexuality and reproduction. And everyone should be empowered to make an informed decision about it. And it's not, the decisions on what to do should not really be driven by whether the fertility rate is increasing or it's reducing. in other words, what I'm saying is that um, the, the the trends in fertility rates should not be used as a reason either to really force or overemphasize or limit access to either contraception or fertility care. What we need to think about is what do the populations really need? Um, the World Health Organization really focuses on ensuring that there is optimum health for each person. And as you have rightly stated, I mean, there are benefits and massive benefits for that come to an individual in terms of health to an individual who is able to access contraception. We know that contraception is is is, been, is a life saving intervention. It reduces maternal mortality. It increases uh, ability for women to participate in labour. Uh, it also and en- and actually enhances uh, household income. So it has a lot of benefits, including for children, and in the same way. And so we need to make sure that those benefits continue to be reaped for every individual who wants to actually limit their children. We also know, on the other hand, that infertility is a significant problem because it causes mental health problems. It is associated with anxiety, with depression. It causes increases in intimate partner violence. And in many, many cases, it's stigmatized and people are really having difficulty in terms of coping within their social environment because of infertility. So at the same time, we also need to think about infertility needs to be responded to for that individual who wants to have a child because it's their right to decide if and when to have a child. And what it is that we need to do needs to respond specifically to that person. Now, at the country level, you will have lots of different fertility preferences. You have people who are trying to limit there, but where others are trying to have a child. And as you rightly say, rule, it is important to make sure that we are not seeing these two issues as competing or even as mutually exclusive. The country's health system needs to respond to the needs of the population, and those needs may coexist in a way for example that means that there will be people that require contraception and family planning and others will require fertility care at the same time mm. and how good a health system is it is its ability and responsiveness to respond to each of these people uh, and make sure that they have they have their their, their health uh, health services met and their facility preferences um met there are many people who are not really able to do so. For example, in Malaysia, you still have a, a sizable population of people who have unmet need for family planning. I think at the last time, this was 25% of married women who are uh, sexually active, want to limit their family, but they haven't been able to do that. And you also have a good sizable population that have infertility. So again, it's about responding to this uh, for, at an individual level, recognizing that it's really a right uh, and a, a good responsive system, uh, health system, is one that can be able to help people to achieve their reproductive uh, goals. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I can't uh, uh, agree more with Dr. Gattel's points there, especially in terms of how uh, I'm reminded that in Malaysia, 70% of the population access publicly funded uh, health services and a lot of lower income, women from low income households, uh, people are disadvantaged, uh, people with the inability to afford uh, fertility, but also planned uh, pregnancy services, uh, uh, depend on government services uh, for these purposes. Even in you know, in uh, having an implant or an IUD or having uh, basically the ability to control their their pregnancies, is an essential uh, necessity. It's it's something that needs to happen, and sometimes it is between life and death. And if you look at Malaysia's maternal mortality rate, which has been you know, floating around 20, 21 per 100,000 women and recently had a spike uh, of up to even 60, there is a concern here. There is a correlation here that if women are not able to manage their pregnancies properly, therefore it could end up with uh, uh, certainly morbidity on the mm-hmm. part of women, but also even cost their life. And... Uh, We need to ensure that these services are fully supported and funded. So fertility, we definitely need to be able to address, but we should be able to uh, discuss it in a proper manner. Uh, Meaning, we talk about choice. I think Dr. Gita mentioned choice many times, you know, but not everybody has the ability to make that choice. In fact, fertility treatments very often are out-of-pocket payments, right? And it may cost quite a bit. Uh, in Malaysia, we're very fortunate. Uh, the can uh, under the Ministry of Women, Family, Community Development, it's the <clears throat>
1: National Population Family exactly. Board. Exactly. You know.
0: Very mouthful. I sometimes yeah. <laughs> forget what it is in English. It actually has quite a number of services under it. And it provides these services since the 70s, you know, and it provides for now both women and men mm. to be able to adjust their fertility needs, uh, to be able to adjust their ability to conceive. So uh, these are. Uh, population, uh, these are subsidized tax free subsidized services, and we need to make sure that uh they are able to be there for people who need it and let 's not look at this as as a pressure on women to have more children, mm. which is very important for us emphasize it because sometimes when we talk about fertility, the blame is is pointed at women this Always. is why you know mm. women have more educated go back to workforce. This is why they should stay at home no this this is rubbish you know we should focus on being able to ensure that people have the right in choice to be able to have children if they want it.
1: Mm. Dr. Gita, I want to get your thoughts. If we look beyond health factors, though, and we have discussed how uh, reasons to uh, decide on the number or whether to have children are very much dependent on your socioeconomic situation, income levels, even whether you can access parental leave, um, Mm. childcare services. So if we look beyond what the health sector um, can provide, What else do we need to address to um, support people's um, reproductive and fertility decisions?
2: Well, I I just want to mention that um, one, as I think Azur has said, we as a global community have committed to achieving universal access to sexual reproductive health and health for all. And one of the critical points that I'd like listeners to take from this conversation is that family planning and fertility care are, are both part of you know, sexual reproductive health and so we need to look at health holistically in fact who defines health as the complete phys- complete physical mental and social well-being and so we need to kind of think holistically in terms of in terms of health that way now as you uh, as as i think as you have mentioned there are a number of uh, interventions that can be made and of course I agree entirely that providing health uh, fertility care in a public hospital for example is good because it it increases and what we have seen from the evidence is that it it reduces the cost it increases access, access and, and it's very important to continue to make sure that those services are attained by people without increasing um, financial hardship now in terms of what Really, countries can do. There are there are lots of interventions that have been tried in in many countries. But one of the po- points to be made here is that all of these interventions, whether it's cash transfers, whether it's parental leave policies, whether it's you know providing uh, subsidization for childcare, or whether it's making sure that people retain re-employment rights after uh, after maternity and so on, all of these uh, interventions are really put in place because they are trying to solve a barrier that people have identified as preventing them from being able to achieve their goals. And so it's one thing to say, well, you know, you should do all of these things. But really the primary point is understanding why people make those decisions and what the uh, the problems are and therefore designing solutions that are locally relevant um, for the local population. So I, I think one of the critical points that I would like to add here, and I think uh, has been mentioned already by Azrul, is ensuring that people understand, have a are, have a good awareness about fertility, have a good awareness of the fact that actually fertility can, can reduce with age. So if you're older, you're less likely to have success in achieving pregnancy. And also the fact that infertility can be caused by both male factors female factors or a combination of these factors and it's very important to make sure that people really understand it so that women don't continue to be blamed like you have mentioned they don't continue to be blamed even when uh, men also contribute to infertility in In fact in our analysis male factors contribute to about 43 percent either partly or either alone or in combination with female factors, but they contribute to about 43% of infertility. So the, we need to make sure that there is increasing awareness and we need to strengthen education and awareness raising interventions to ensure that people understand fertility and age and, very, and, and, and infertility. And very quickly, I just want to mention that, you know, because you're asking what are the things that we can do as a, as a community to make sure that the, we are we are really providing Uh, enhancing the ability of people to make those decisions and to tackle the barriers that prevent them. We need to make sure that we are prioritizing issues of reproduction, fertility, care, and contraception within national policies. And not just one or the other, but both. And we need to make sure that we are reducing the costs for these interventions. I mean, whether it's contraception or fertility care. Fertility care, especially IVF, tends to be very expensive. And therefore, reducing the cost is going to be extremely essential. We also need to make sure that we are combat combating harmful gender norms and inequity. As you've mentioned, as rule, we know, and I, I gave statistics earlier, in fact, I think about 36% of women who are infertile or who are in an infertile couple generally tend to experience intimate partner violence even when they don't know the cost, right? So we need to ensure that we are tackling harmful gender norms, which mean that women continue to be disproportionately affected or blamed for infertility, even when maybe their partners are also contributing. And we also need to address um, gaps in data. Uh, Right now, you know, fertility, I mean, you, you have provided very good data in terms of where the, the, the trends for for total fertility are going, but we need to understand a little bit more in terms of how many people have infertility in Malaysia, where are they, how can we best provide services for them, and what age groups are they, and so on, and what are the reasons why they, they are encountering this problem. And of course, finally, in many countries, our, our advice is really to say that you do need to have guidelines, clinical guidelines, that support clinical service provision but you also need to have uh, guidelines and interventions that address social aspects of fertility and infertility this is because infertility is not just a, a, a medical condition but it's a condition that requires both medical interventions and social interventions because of the ramifications it has in the social space and finally of course we need to address the causes of infertility uh, whether it's STI, sexually transmitted infections, whether it's unwanted pregnancies, you know, which can lead to unsafe abortions, and recognizing the, the great impact that women's specific conditions such as endometriosis or PCOS have on reproduction. And we are not doing a good job in many countries. In fact, in many countries, some of these conditions that affect women are hardly um, ever provided with yeah. the kind of highlight that, exactly, need. and and we see that, and this is where the role of education comes in, and greater emphasis. Of this, of this, of these uh, problems in in policy, in resource allocation, and healthcare provision.
1: Mm, absolutely, um, better recognition even among healthcare practitioners. I think that is still an area that needs um, you know constant conversations when it comes to women's reproductive problems and disorders as well. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up with Dr. Gitao. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today, Dr. Gitao.
2: Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you very much.
1: That was Dr. Gitao Mburu, sexual and reproductive health and research scientist with the World Bank Special Program, HRP, World Health Organization. Um, do stay tuned uh, to uh, Health & Living here. Azrul and I will come back from the break to look at the appointment or rather reappointment of Dato Sri Dr. Fili Ahmad as Minister of Health in the recent Cabinet reshuffle by PM10 and what our new minister will need to focus on We'll be right back on Health & Living, BFM 89.9.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: For more stories of the same kind, download
0: the BFM app.